Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces Podcast, episode 391. Um, thank you for tuning in. I tell you what, I'm having icon after icon of late. Just some of my favourite actors working today. Last week was Juliet Stevenson, legend. And this week is Amanda Abington, legend. The week before that was Laura Dockrell, who isn't an actor. I'll give you that. But is a wonderful, wonderful human. Um, also, big love for the response to the the rewind I put out on, on Friday. As it's Pride Month, I re-released the amazing chat I had with Michael Cashman, who is kind of, his story is key to Pride being a thing. The Pride parades, he was a founder of Stonewall and a key figure in all of that. So it's a hell of a story. But also, in that episode, in the intro, I gave a little film checklist, an LGBTQ plus film checklist to watch this month. I posted it on my socials as well. So if you're a film fan and fancy some amazing films, then go and work through that list. I was on, I returned to Brett Goldstein's films to be buried with recently. And in that, it just came up because of one of the questions I talked about the reason I think gay cinema has so many of my favourite stories and so many of the most powerful stories. And then, yeah, I recommended a load of uh, of, of f- f- films in there as well. I was also recently, as I mentioned in podcasts I've done recently, I did Hardcore Listing recently with Stu Whiffin in place of Chris Glasson because Chris was away for the weekend. And we did top five TV show characters' names. And it was one of my favourite hours of conversation I've had because there's so many good things to come up with there. I'm not going to tell you anyone who made the list, but I will tell you that Bungle j- just m- missed a, pl- a place on the list. And Bungle is a hell of a character name. Bungle. I, l- I love it. But yeah, go and listen to that. We'll, we'll get into this episode as swiftly as possible. Obviously, as always, if you want to support the podcast, speechdevelopmentrecords.com is where I've got all the merch. Last month, because we were doing a month... Of mental health awareness i didn't plug the web store at all and it was the worst month of sales i've ever had so if, if you've been listening to all these podcasts for free and fa- fancy getting some merch to support head over to speech records.com we've got everything summer stuff winter stuff audio stuff visual stuff all the stuff however if you didn't want to spend big and get merch and you're like i don't want to wear a t-shirt a with your stu- stupid name and stupid face on it, then you can just head to patreon.com forward slash Scroobius Pip and support for, I think it's only a dollar or a dollar fifty a month or a quid or a quid fifty a month. And that's just a way of kind of going, look, if I, I listen to the podcast and I think I get enough entertainment out of it to warrant, you know, if I bumped into you, I'd buy you a large chocolate bar or small cake. That's about a quid fifty in it, I'd say. It's not even a pint. It's not even saying I'd buy you a pint every month. It's not even a cup of coffee. It's not even saying I'd buy you a cup of coffee every month. It's less than that. Obviously, you can pledge more, so that's an option. But yeah, that's all over at patreon.com slash But this episode, I was so pleased. Me and Amanda have been lining this one up for a good year or two. We were lining it up for a while when we all lived in the real world. And then because we failed a few times, I think I just forgot to keep chasing. There was a few where our schedules just couldn't line up. And then I heard her on Off the Beaten Track, which was fantastic. I recommend her episode of that. And I thought, hello, now we're all in digital world and we're doing these over Zoom. Let's make it happen. So we did make it happen. Yeah, we we normally, as a lot of you know, I get the guests to record their end there were some issues, so I couldn't make that work this time. So the audio will be slightly lower quality than usual, but Buddy Peace is the best producer in podcasting. So you probably won't even notice. I've just mentioned that, but you'll probably be like, I wouldn't have noticed if you hadn't said anything, Pip. You're an idiot. But yeah, let's get into this. Episode 391 of the Distraction Pieces podcast with the amazing Amanda Abington. This piece of fiction is the intro to the structure. 
Right, I'm here today with Amanda Abington. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? I'm good. Good. Where are you? I'm in Essex. Okay, cool. Whereabouts? Stanfordly Hope. No one's heard of it, but it's kind of near between Tilbury and South End, oh, near Basildon, yeah. all that Lovely. kind of area. Nice, nice. Uh, where are you these days? I'm Hertfordshire. Hertfordshire, yes. Yeah. You 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 grew up in Hertfordshire, right? That's I did, yeah. The and then we moved to North London, and then came back when when I got pregnant. When I had we had, we had Joe, and then I came back when I was pregnant with Grace, and I've been there ever since. And I love it. I love being in the country. Yeah, love it's it. good being that bit out, but near enough to go in when you need to. Yes, but not yeah. too near to be overwhelmed. But it's why I've stayed here my whole life. It's just I'm just far enough out of London. Yeah. That it's relaxing, I know. and if I'm needed, I can swoop in. You feel your shoulders just come down, and you just start breathing when you get a bit of space. It's just so lovely. How's how's your your year been? I guess because it must be nice being in the countryside in in this year that we've had. Yeah, it's been a godsend actually, because because we've I've been able to. I mean, the kids have had their friends now. They've got there's a couple of them that live around here, so they can go out and see them. But we just we just managed to kind of just have a bit of space and just you know go to the woods and just like. I don't know. It was. It was such. A, it's been such a strange time, and so being in the countryside, I think. I don't. Yeah. It, it's just been much more. It's been really good for the soul. I think yeah. being yeah. being with nature. Do you know what I mean? I'm such an. I'm such a country girl at heart, anyway. So it's. It was. I was very very thankful. And my parents are just down the road, so we'd. So I'd socially distance, going to say hello to them. You know, and it was yeah, just. Yeah, that's perfect. And it helped them as well because they got to see their grandchildren and and so we had our little bubble of people where we you know we weren't touching and everything but we were kind of spending a lot of time together so it was and actually what was weird was that if you didn't turn on the news or read the or read the newspapers I didn't really know that there was a pandemic. I was, I was going to say that I I feel c- cities kind of hold that tension. Yeah, they really when things like this are going on, it, yeah. it's clear, it's it's visibly around you. Yeah, but being out in the countryside, if you can put your phone down, which I struggle with, uh, with sometimes, or yeah. or keep away from the news, then you can yeah. just escape a little bit, and that can be yeah. really important for your own your own mental health. So yeah, yes. that must have been yeah, helpful. It was, it's been it was it was lovely. It was very nice because we you know we'd make a point of doing stuff and and getting away from the phone and and you yeah. know. And and I think that is such a an important part of well being and mental health is just getting, putting that away and just going yeah just just doing something that is like you're not consumed by a screen yeah. Speaking of screens, have you done a lot of Zoom stuff and and podcasts or anything like that? Because only reason I ask is you've got a great Zoom background. It looks have really I, yeah. it, it, it looks really beautifully curated. It's a lovely oh, seat. No. Everything. It's this kind is. Of, this is just a perfect, like, this is my sitting room. It's a and great it's just, spot for it, right? It's just, yeah, and I've got a window, so I'm looking out into the fields and the garden. Yeah, you're lit perfectly, everything. It's, this is the ideal <laughs> Zoom location. As soon yeah, as you opened up the camera, it. I was like, perfect. I love it. It is like a bit of a set, isn't it? Like a yeah. film set. But no, it's just happened like this. It's, I'm quite eclectic. I collect loads of, like, in my dining room, I've got Ouija boards and skulls and stuffed birds and, you know, all things from oh, around the world. So it's it's very eclectic. My children are a bit bemused by the whole thing. You know, it's I'm a bit of a... I'm not a hoarder, but I certainly collect things. I was going to say, is that important to you, to collect things and have the memories attached to it? It comes to mind, um, I really enjoyed you on the Off the Beat and Track podcast. Oh, yeah. With Stuart Whiffin. and yeah music again it's clearly it's something that holds memories but things that that you collect can do as well items and individual things so is that big for you to kind of have these memories around you visibly yeah Yeah, I've got things that my grandmother gave me that her grandmother gave so you know I've got loads of things that when I look at them I go and I remember that you know when I got it or when I acquired it and and it's really nice I'm such a because some people will just like they'll kind of get rid of memories or they'll yeah. get rid of like certain points in their life they'll get rid of all the stuff that is related to that and I can't really do that I'm not I'm not somebody who can just throw things away and then move on with something else I sort of like the nostalgia of it yeah. and the remembering of 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 those things that you know that remind me of those times but I you know I know a few people who just get rid of everything and then have like a very minimalist and don't have many things i'm a bit of a magpie yeah so i collect things and and yeah yeah it's tough isn't it when my mum is trying to clear her loft or anything like that she always has to kind of ask 
me and my brother to do it when she's not there. Because if she sees any of it coming down, it'll be like, no, yeah. we can't throw that. And that's why it becomes these things. Because there are, are memories attached. And it's, yeah. it's a beautiful thing. I think it's tough, particularly now we're living in such hectic kind of communities. Like the fact that we, we yeah. through our phones or whatever, we're absorbing the whole world now. Our memories yeah. are pushed aside. So having visual yeah. reminders and tactile cues for those moments yeah. and times is can be I a beautiful so. thing yeah and I think also that it's sort of there's something you know there's something um heartening about it and there's something reassuring it's like having a blanket yeah. do you know what I mean it's like having a little security blanket of like oh these you know I'm I feel safe you know I feel safe because these things are my you know these things are my things and and I can they're my go-to thing if I feel like you know if I feel a bit blue or if I feel a bit scared of what's going on at the moment then I can come into my little home and and feel like it's a little safe space and it's because you because I've collected stuff and and I'm quite yeah my shed is a disgusting mess so (laughs) I've decided I've been promising myself a skip for the for a whole year yeah so I've got a bit of time off uh in June so I'm going to finally get myself a skip and clear out that that shed i've got a shed things out yeah i can do that because that's just where i put everything like all the kids toys and stuff that you know that is that if i had had it in here i'd look like a hoarder but actually i can uh i can get rid of all i'm quite it'll be quite easy to get rid of all that i think yeah i mean i I just heard in in the background another thing you've collected in this in this pandemic in recent times is a dog right yeah how's that is is, is, have you always had dogs or is that i've always grown up with dogs i've always had dogs my mum had a dog and i grew up with ringo he was like in a labrador and i had you know she rescued him he was the runt of the litter and so we had three dogs during lockdown and um, one was a little miniature long-haired dachshund and she was about 18, I think, 17 or 18, and she passed away during lockdown. Right. Uh, and the other two were rescues. And about six weeks ago, I started work for a, or I started to to talk to a woman at Underdog International, which is this beautiful charity that that works with children and dogs. So any, you know, children who are come, come from a, an impoverished background or somewhere where there are no books, you know, all around the world, or if there are children who have had severe trauma or mm-hmm. mental, physical and sexual abuse, they have therapy dogs that come in and, and work oh, with wow. them. And, you know, in, in schools, they, they bring like four or five dogs in and the kids read to the dogs. So it's, it's basically the dogs are helping the children and the children are helping the dogs. And so what part of what they do also is they rescue dogs from around the world. So the yeah. Chinese meat, the meat industry out there. So they try and get dogs from there. Romania, Bucharest and Cyprus are, are places where dogs are treated very poorly. And this guy that I've acquired uh, was found in a skip with his brothers and sisters and he's five months old now. He came over on Friday night uh, after a 1,500-mile journey, covering two days. And he's just, he's already coming on in leaps and bounds. I mean, he's got a lot of trauma and he's very, very anxious. But we've got these other two dogs and they're kind of really helping him. But it's it's just really rewarding seeing him suddenly blossom, this little kind of waif that lived yeah. in a skip. So I've got this little Romanian orphan that I'm building his confidence up. I love that. Romania is a really interesting one with dogs because they've got a huge wild dog issue but because when they went under a dictatorship and kind of was pushed a version of communism Mm. um they were all moved into 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 tower blocks in in cities where originally they were in fields and had dogs and when they moved into the tower blocks they couldn't keep the dogs so all the dogs were kind of left free and when Mm. the dictatorship ended the dogs were kind of taken on as the responsibility of everyone. And there was a, at least a period where whenever you'd go there, I'd go there on tour and there'd always be water outside every shop, every house yeah. or food and stuff like that as the community would look after them. But as with anything, if uh, an area of wild animals is is left like that, they breed and they breed and they breed. It's, yeah. it's eat, eat yeah. and have sex. It's what animals do. Kind pretty of things. much what they do. It's, That's it's the, pretty yeah. straightforward. So yeah, yeah. I believe at this point... It's just got too far. And as you say, there's now no one's looking after them. There's no one. They're they're being dumped in skips and whatnot, as you said. So I think it's great that there's organisations who are out there rescuing them. I've I've been a big believer in adopt, don't shop for a long time now that you should always save dogs because there's so many out there that need rescuing. I think so. And they're so good for, like, if I hadn't had my dogs during the lockdown, it would have been a lot 
harder. Yeah. Because they're so uh, they have this ability to to make you do things. Like if you don't want to get up in the morning, you have to to feed them and take yeah. them. And they kind of look at you and go, "Come on, we're going we're going out now." And there is this kind of they 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 are very magical animals, I think, because they can make you feel better. And there's no judgment from a dog. You know, they don't judge you. They don't judge how you know. They're just like, "No, come on, we're gonna." Let's play. Come on. Let's eat. Let's, you know. And I found that during lockdown that, that particular, well, Arthur and Stan would, were just very aware of what was going on. They it was felt very like they were, so they were more on the kids and they were more on me. And, and they, right. you know, it was, yeah, it's very, it's very interesting how they can help people, dogs. I yeah. think, you know, they've, they have this innate ability to, to make you feel better. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I love the idea of, as you, you said, a charity underdogs working them with children because you're completely right children of all ages are so receptive to reactions and to vibes and sadly in schools and all sorts of things I grew up at school and I was the kid with a a stutter so you're instantly gonna know when people are giving a slight look to someone else the smallest little microaggressions Mm -hmm. you pick up and dogs don't have any of that. <laughs> They're just They're excited to see you. And just like, oh my god, this is the most yeah. amazing person in the world. Yeah. And then you could leave the room five like for like half an hour and come back and they're like, oh my god, you're back. Yeah. So much has happened. You know, they're they're so they're full of love and they're just full of enthusiasm and they're just so gentle, you know. And I and you know, I think I've always been a firm believer that, you know, there is no such thing as a, a bad dog. There's just there are bad owners. And I 100%. think you know, we need to, I, and I like, you know, I like with underdog, I like the fact that they introduce dogs to children because I see, I see quite a lot of children who are frightened of dogs and scared of dogs. And actually there's, if, if we educate people on how to look after dogs and just make sure that we don't, you know, hit them and beat them and treat them like shit, that mm. <laughs> actually, you know, every, I think most, or if not all dogs are, are very sentient beings and very gentle. Um, and as you say, you know, kids pick up on that. Like these, the, the charity, this charity that, I, that I'm involved with, they said they say the difference within ten minutes mm. of a dog being alone with a child, and the the way these kids just open up and they just you see them just go, ah, just breathe, yeah. and just and smile and and start communicating, and it's um it's a really rewarding thing to see, and these kids then have a chance, you know, they have a chance at not being outsiders or they don't you know they have a chance of actually love and and being loved and because of these dogs so yeah I love it it's a wonderful thing unfortunately there was an increase of I think there's an increase of 30,000 dogs were bought during during lockdown these aren't rescue dogs but dogs were were brought were bought and and now they're going to have an influx of dogs being sent to animal shelters because people are going back to work and getting back to yeah. some sort of normality so these dogs are going to be which you get you know that i think that has to be like an edu- like there has to be proper education in terms of you know and legislation about how you buy a dog you shouldn't just be able to buy a dog i don't think i completely it's very, agree it's very easy to buy one and then just discard it and i, I it's, it's not a great lesson for humanity i agree further education on what it takes mm. to own a dog that yeah. it's as weird as it sounds it's not like a cat you can't just kind of leave it to get on with its really own not. business. No, it's no. it really it needs a lot of a yeah. lot of love and a lot of care and a yeah. lot of attention and it really does, training yeah. and all sorts of other stuff. So yeah, I mean, I remember when I was growing up that my mum had a dog license. You had to get a license. Yeah, and I don't know why they really stopped that because because it was you know I think it helped a lot with the with stray dogs and stuff like that. But yeah, I, I don't agree. know. The more hurdles, the better, in my opinion, because it stops the whim. Of, yeah. of, of of getting a dog but speaking of growing up what kind of of, of kid were you growing up out, out in Hertfordshire you're not in the big city but it's no. not it's not completely remote either it's you know there's there, there's a lot going on in Hertfordshire were you like was acting instantly your goal was music a big deal to you what were you uh, no, you acti- acting wasn't. I was. I'm an only child, and in my formative years, I lived with my nanny and granddad as well as my mum and dad. We all lived in a big house together. Oh, lovely. So that was nice for, for for my first sort of three years, maybe three or four years. I was always a dancer. I used to love dancing, so I went to ballet. And my mum, I remember my mum saying to me because I wanted to do horse. I liked horses as well, and I wanted to do horse riding. She she said, "Well, you're not doing both. We, we can't afford you to do both." Um, so you'd have to toss a coin and whichever way it falls, that's what you do. So I, it landed on ballet. So I did ballet and, and I, I stayed doing that till I was about 18, 17. 
Yeah. And then I got an injury. And, and that's when I found out I wanted to do acting, which was much easier for me. And I yeah. was a better actor than I ever was a dancer. But <laughs> certainly growing. But, but I, I lived on this street. It was lovely. I lived on this street called Thornton Road. And it was just this row of Victorian terraced houses. And it was just two up, two down. But there was such a community of kids. So every morning... Like every weekend, like we'd wake up and they'd throw stones, like stones at the window and then you'd lift your window up and there'd be about 15 of us. And we'd go out on our bikes and we went to this place around the corner called the pits, which was just where you'd ride your bike and you'd go down all these hills and go into the water. And then we'd climb trees and then we'd rescued a cow once that had got out of the, the field. And I just remember it being a really, really happy time Yeah. out of school. In school was a completely different thing because I was really, really bullied. Like, right beyond awful i was gonna say that part of it sounds like a film or a tv show it sounds perfect it was so beautiful but then i'd dread sunday night i would cry sob 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 in my room because i'd have to go into school the next day Mm. and i knew that there were going to be five days of just hell with this me and this group of girls who were just vile they were just horrible and it went on for a couple of years because I couldn't tell my mum because I was really scared of them. And they'd said, you know, something, you know, your mum will die if you tell if you tell anyone. So I sort of <laughs> I enjoyed a lot of bullying as a kid. Yeah. And then I finally, I finally plucked because I, I was starting to get really introverted. Like I was, I wasn't really responding to stuff. And my mum realised and she she was like, I don't, something's going on. And so I eventually told her and said, I'm being bullied by this group of girls at school and they've been doing it for a while. So she immediately got in the car and drove to the ringleader's house and banged on the door and she spoke to the woman and she said, get your daughter out here now. Bearing in mind, this was what I was about 11, 10. So my mum was going to have a go at a 10 year old. <laughs> <laughs> she's and she's tiny my mum she's about five foot two but she's terrifying I mean she's yeah. absolutely terrifying and so the mum said what's all this about and she said your daughter has been making my daughter's life a misery get her out here now and um, she, my mum said to her if you ever touch or if you ever go near my daughter or if you talk to my daughter like that again I will come around here and I won't be responsible for my actions and it kind of stopped after that it sort I love of love it yeah so she kind of took it into her own hands because she could see me drowning essentially you know she could yeah. see me you know just like you know um but she was incredible my mum she's fearless absolutely fearless she's not frightened of anyone or anything never seen her be frightened never seen her frightened of anybody I love that and, yeah. and and did that kind of coincide then with you decided what you wanted to do because I guess mm. it would have stopped the potential pop path into you just becoming more and more introverted did that give you that kind of freedom a little bit well what it did was it I it it opened up my sense of humor so what I what I said what I did when I went to secondary school was I used humor as a defense mechanism so Mm -hmm. I'd I'd use humor as a kind of thing to make myself popular so I was a funny I was funny I'd do voices and I'd take I'd do impersonations the teachers and I'd make jokes all the time and 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 so I used that then as a way of trying to be popular I suppose um, and it really helped it, that that was you know that was the thing that I think got me doing what I wanted like becoming an actor because I do it in drama in drama class I'd sort of be quite confident in drama class I'm not a particularly confident person I'm very very insecure I'm really shy I get very tongue-tied if I'm if I'm in a social situation and and you know if, if I'm having a talk and I suddenly get a bit like oh god I don't know what I'm saying yeah um so I've never been a particularly outgoing person. I, I just, I've, it's all learnt. It's all learnt behaviour, I suppose, and it covers yeah. up the insecurities. But um, in drama class, I would come out of my shell and the drama teacher, Mr. Townsend, who's I'm still in touch with, and he was this incredible man. And he said to me, you must, you must pursue this as a, as a career because so, I think you're really, really good at it. I think your instincts are really good. And um, I think it's something that you should absolutely do. And, and I kind of had it at the back burner, but I still wanted to be a dancer at that point. So I went to dance school. That didn't work out. I, got, I, I didn't enjoy that at all. And then I got an injury. And so I left. And the drama teacher there even said, now, now you must go to drama school. Now you yeah. must try it and, and really, really have a go at it. Because I think that's something that, is, that, that you will regret if you don't. And it went on from there, really. It's amazing the impact of positive affirmation at oh, that kind yeah. of age from any adult. Because in general, the teachers are there to tell you off in your yeah. mind. They're yeah. there to tell you what you're doing wrong. And when yeah. one of them tells you what you're doing right, it can be so enlightening. Just like, oh, Absolutely. wow, this is yeah. this is amazing. Yeah. 
Well, I, you know, they, I remember, I remember an advertisement for t- for teaching years and years ago, and the, and the tagline was, "You'll always remember a good teacher," and it's so true. I remember, yeah. I remember my two favourite teachers, Mrs. Jarvis and Mr. Tandro. And one was English, and one was drama. And I'll never forget them because they were so positive, and like you said, just that positive affirmation of actually, you know, you're doing really well. Because also, when you're my kids, I've got a fifteen year old. And a 13-year-old who's going to, she's going to be 13 next month. And when you see a teacher say something to them, you see them just suddenly to blossom. They just, yeah. they're kind of like, oh, that's, you know, oh, I've got, that's nice. That's nice. And, and it's so lovely to see when you see these kids get, as you say, just get some positivity because they're all, you know, we're always down on, down on kids, aren't we? We're always like, well, you shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be doing yeah. this. But actually, when you give them positive affirmation, like you say, they can, they can do anything. And and as you say, it does stick with you. And the first thing I saw you in was Man Stroke Woman, which I absolutely <laughs> adored in 2005. And it comes to mind now because yeah. it does feel like a load of people in j- j- messing about in class kind of thing. And it's with yeah. previous guest Daisy Hazard, Hazard yeah. one of my favourite people in the world, Nick Frost, yeah, she, uh, yeah. Oh Ben Crompton, Meredith yeah. McNeil, all just, it seemed like, such a joy of a show it was allowed yeah. to be s- silly it was at a stage yeah. when comedy was allowing that a little bit to just be yeah. s- silly there were the, the silly tight safe. scripts and amazing scripts yeah. but you it yeah. felt like there was a looseness within those scripts to be yeah. silly it didn't have to be all quick acerbic no Here's my or, or clever actually, yeah. or clever you know it yeah. wasn't it wasn't trying to be clever comedy it was just goofy yeah, it was just like clowning around, and 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 that's what I loved about it. There was just I always remember my favorite, <laughs> favorite sketch was Daisy and Nick Frost, and then Daisy's got this card, and she says, "Oh, Mia's made you a card, and it's got glitter in it." He's like, "No, no, no, I can't, I can't look because I, I attract glitter. I, any tiny bit of glitter I get on me," and she goes, "Oh, just look at it, just look at it." And then he goes, all right, then <laughs> he opens it up and it cuts to Daisy's face and you can just see her kind of look a bit bemused and shocked. And then he comes back to him and he goes, oh, it's lovely. And he's literally covered <laughs> in glitter from head to toe. <laughs> and it's still, every time I watch it, it just makes me really laugh because it's so stupid, but it's so it's funny. Perfect in its simplicity. Yeah. And he does this other one with Nick Burns where they're testing out mobile phones and he's going, but they're doing it as kind of like Star Wars ships. So they, yep. they're kind of fighting and they go, oh, no, no, no. And it's it, honestly, I, it's really good. I was so proud of that show. Yeah, it was it great. It was really good, It's yeah. a classic. Well, I mean, on your route there then, as said, you were obviously teachers told you you need to get to drama school. Mm. Talked a lot on this podcast about different drama schools and different things like that. But something I've also come to realise and kind of always been aware of is how important in this country shows like the bill and casualty yeah. and these kind of things <gasps> are as as, yeah. as as classrooms because there's only a certain amount that you can learn in a drama class there's a certain amount yeah. of being on set is completely different and you were had i think seven different appearances in the bill as different characters over the I years don't know how, so- i don't know how i managed to do that because you're supposed to do it they're supposed to own like it used to be that you couldn't do it you could only do it once every two or three years. Yeah. And I, I ended up doing it like once every year as different characters. <laughs> different it was characters. really, yeah. But that was what was great about the bill and casualty and stuff like that was that because, and I think it's changed in drama schools now, but in, in my day, they didn't teach screen acting. Mm. So you had no idea how to act on screen as opposed to how you act on theatre. So it was one of those beautiful kind of lessons on how to do it. Yeah. on the job you know because you they, they were very gentle they were very patient it was very quick obviously but you know they they took a lot of people from drama school those those, those shows and that's how you cut that's how I cut my teeth on on screen acting certainly um you know you have to kind of like bring it all down yeah they're completely so, different art forms and like I, yeah. I've not I've not gone to to drama school but I've done a lot of of book learning on it and one of the yeah, easiest yeah, yeah, examples yeah. I've read and and from people I've worked with in fact on a, f- a film set recently one of the guys I was kind of learning under as much as I could kind of pointed yeah, out that yeah. when you're screen acting the camera's right there yeah that's all you have to, to play to in theatre you, you you might not be doing a good job if the front row can read it that's yeah. great but the back row might not be able to so you have Absolutely. to be that bit much yeah. bigger but you have to really project it out on yeah. screen 
you're they're not even in the in the front row they're on stage with you so it yeah. can be the slightest of looks or yeah. moments rather than a bigger grander a gesture yeah. right so that must have been yeah. amazing to get to learn that on the learn on the job essentially it really was and it was one of yeah i mean it because i ended up doing i ended up, I, did, I ended up not doing any theater for years mm. because i started in television that's how i got i got my first job on the bill and so again in those days you were you were either a theater actress or a television film actress you could yeah. you couldn't really cross over yeah which was crazy because now, thankfully, you can do everything. You're, yeah. You know, you can do everything and you're allowed to do everything. And But in those days, it was like, well, no, she's done telly, so she's not a theatre actress. Or like, even TV and film yeah, was like that, wasn't it? It's absolutely. like you can't be doing both. You're a TV yeah. actor or you're a film yeah. actor. It's like, no, that's that's crazy was, now. Yes, it really was. But now it's, it's. I love the fact that it's just kind of all just melted into this one, you know, homogenized kind of thing where you can do anything if you get offered it you can do it it doesn't matter but there was you were it was frowned upon if you did television and then went up for a theater audition people would go well she's not she's not really a theater actress and so well you haven't given me a chance that's that's (laughs) that's interesting to hear because one of the things i noticed when kind of refreshing myself on on some of of your career uh, when i had stephen graham on here he spoke Mm. about looking at himself as a decorator so uh, within reason if someone asks him to do a job he does a job he doesn't go there and go no i don't really like the look of this place i'm gonna i'm gonna pass on it and and you've you've always worked whether it's a full series or an episode here an episode there and i think one of the things that Stevie was saying about that, again, all within reason. You don't want to be just working on any old no. shit, but, no, but, ch- but within you, you, reason, but you, yeah, yeah. You, you're getting your, your hours in. Was his kind of view that the more time yeah. I'm on set, the more I'm going to learn, Absolutely. and the more I'm going to develop and become comfortable. But sometimes, sometimes it's nice to go in and just do a little thing. Yeah. I still do that. I still love doing that, and it's not you and know I'm pressure, not, right? <laughs> yeah, and it's like you know to be able to have that luxury of being able to do that. I think, you know, I don't really understand, you know, always wanting to be in, you know, the the main part. I've never really been, I've never, I don't think I've ever, I think I don't think I've ever been in a main part, really. I've been a, I've been a good supporting role, I think. But I, I, I suppose I've done a few, I suppose I've done a few plays where I have, but, but generally I think it's nice to go in and do a lovely, lovely bit of acting for like for six episodes or for one episode or for just you know for anything and then and then come away feeling like oh no I did that I I, con- I contributed to that I made that I made that a nice piece do you know what I mean it's I I find it yeah I think you can't be I mean I'm not snobby when it I'm not a snobby actor yeah. do you know what I mean I don't yeah. I'm not one of those people that goes oh god I'm not doing that it's like well if it's good if the writing's good I'm doing anything I'm doing anything where the writing's good. I completely agree, and and you've nailed it there. Like one of the first things that, re- that resonated with me when reading loads, like moving from music in, into acting, I did a whole load of of reading, and one of the things that resonated really well was the idea that stealing the scene is a good thing <laughs> is completely wrong because you're meant to be part of the team. You're meant to be. Yeah. It's not. I I came from music where, as I was the front person, it's almost a solo thing, and in in some albums it was a solo thing but that's not what acting is and that's not how films and tv are made it has to be a team with the people on camera and the people off camera you all need to be putting together rather than i'm gonna go in there and steal the scene i'm here for one day i'm gonna steal the scene. no don't do that yeah be a one-man show go and do a one-man show if that's what you want to do but actually yeah i mean i yeah you go in and you you know you they you couldn't make a show without essays and mm-hmm. the lighting guys the makeup because you, it could it wouldn't happen so you kind of have to you know I always worry about sort of like stars do you know what I mean it always kind of worries me because everybody's making you look good do you know I mean everybody is so yeah. it's not yeah. it's not just about you it's about yeah. if you do this job because you want to be a star or you want to be famous you're doing it for the wrong reasons you know you do this job to tell stories that's that's always why I wanted to do it I wanted to tell stories yeah. And I wanted to play and I wanted to be a clown and I wanted to make people laugh and cry and, and you know, in, invoke some kind of reaction. Or, or that's, that's why you do it. You don't do it to be famous and you certainly don't do it to be a, a massive star because then there's no authenticity there. You're not doing it for the real reason. 
Um, which is why I think with, you know, I'll always, it's always about script. It's always about the writing. It has to be about the right. If the right, if you've got like five lines, if you're offered something that's got five lines in it, but the whole thing is magnificent, you do it. You just do it because it's nice to be a part of something that's so beautifully told. Yeah. And I don't care for the snobbishness of, of some acting and some acting, you know, some people who, who, who won't, who won't do something unless it's a main part it's a bit and I've you know I've met actors like that they're like it's not big enough for me it's like what do you want what do you want to do it's a really good script what that's not you know you know you don't want to you don't want to do that all right fair enough yeah and I've 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 spoken to friends who've been in the industry a, a lot longer about people who only a few years back would be snobby about the idea of doing TV rather than films. Like, no, I'm a feature film actor. It's like the fact it's changed so much now because yeah. of Netflix and all these other things. And and obviously you've got to put some credit on things like The Sopranos or The Wire that have Complete made these just work. works of art in TV. Yeah. And again, it seems alien to me now that someone would be turning their nose up yeah. at working on TV. It's like, what, yeah. having 12 hours to develop a character rather than two? <laughs> Yeah. That sounds like a good thing artistically. Yeah, surely, exactly. regardless of everything else, surely that's a good thing artistically yeah. to go, I've yeah. got all this time with a character. Absolutely. No, I'm, I love that. I love that. I love it. And that's why I love this job. Because also, you know, you don't, I don't know what I'm going to do next. I, you know, I, you know, you, you, you have no idea whether it's going to be a play, whether it's going to be a bit of radio, whether it's going to be a film or television. You know, it's, it's um, always exciting. Always. Yeah. Sorry, we've got a massive fox in our back garden and the dog's just checked him out. It's oh, just amazing. amazing. Yeah, sorry. Just keeping an eye on him. Well, two things off the back of that, because it is always exciting, but it's also a tumultuous industry, right? How do yeah. you find the ups and downs of this industry? I think I'm sure one of the first times we interacted on on social media, we were talking about the positives and negatives of this industry in that you go for an audition... And then if you've got it, you hear about it. If you haven't, you might see a poster a year later and go, oh, they made that in the end. Oh, I didn't get it. I didn't get it. When you're actually watching it and you see your character, oh, I didn't get it. And it's a really weird one because I understand it. I'd rather they see 20 people Mm. than see 10 people and give everyone kind of a meeting afterwards to say feedback or whatever else. But it's also, it is, it's weirdly, it's weirdly heartbreaking. It took me a while. I was quite good getting into the I do an audition I move on and forget mm-hmm. about it but still there will be that one in ten yeah that keeps me awake at night that, yeah that I'm thinking about for for weeks later for months Absolutely. later yeah how do you handle yeah, I, that kind I, of, side I, of it I get very angry about it because I I don't like being ghosted at all yeah. I yeah. don't like being ghosted by people or or jobs so if you you know I I have this real bone of contention about you know being sent 12 15 pages to learn and having to do a self tape and spend taking a few hours out of my day and then sending it off feeling really excited about it and then literally never hearing from them again yeah. it's like yeah. it takes 30 seconds to say we got we got your tape we loved it or we didn't like it, but we've got another way. But thank you so much for doing it. And I still don't know why people don't do that. It's yeah. so rude and disheartening. And and I think, I can't remember who posted it. There was a lovely actress who posted something on Instagram a couple of weeks ago and said, just at the moment as well, in this current climate where everybody's slightly frail and frazzled and don't know what's going to happen, to just not tell people, yeah. not tell an actor that they haven't got a job and just leave them waiting is really... It's not, it's gaslighting, cruel behaviour. I genuinely think it is because you wouldn't do it in any other job. You'd get an email or a letter saying, thank you for your interview. Uh, We've got another way, but thank you so much for coming in. You don't, I've had so many jobs where I've been waiting. And I mean, luckily my agent now is really good. And he just says, I'm going to find that out for you. And I'll just, I'll just text him now on jobs and say, can you just give them a little nudge? And he's like, yes, I totally will do that. But the general feeling, of, and, and I've spoken to lots of other actors about this and actresses, and they all say the same thing. It's like, no, we're left hanging. We're just left hanging. Yeah. And it's, it takes 30 seconds. I timed it. I t- set my watch <laughs> and I timed a phone call yeah. and it took 25 seconds. Yeah. And that's all it takes. It's such a weird norm, isn't it? Because, yeah. again, I've kind of accepted it and learned my own techniques for dealing with it and not being affected, but mm. that's because I've accepted that that's how it is. But w- yeah. why is it like that? What yeah. you know, as, as you say, 
even particularly in these times, I'm a big, big believer that an audition sh- sh- shouldn't be more than than two or three pages. Because no. I do feel if you're seeing a load of people, it's yeah. a lot to ask to go, can you learn, as you say, 15 pages? It's like, yeah, that's crazy. You wouldn't. It is crazy. It's a similar thing. There was a big uproar a while back about particularly artists yeah. being asked to do things on spec, being asked or like bands, bands yeah. who've made millions will do a yeah. competition yeah. to design their T-shirt. And it's like, well, that's hundreds of people putting in work and not yeah. getting paid for it. Absolutely. And absolutely. But that's how the industry is. <laughs> yeah, and, it's, and, it, and, I, and and we kind of accept it and I don't know if we should. Yeah. I really don't know if we should because also my other my other bugbear about meetings and auditions I don't get any now because I said this. But um is that I have a real problem sometimes with learning things straight mm. away because you haven't got the job yet and it's a long time out of your day. It takes I mean it takes me quite a while to learn lines. I be you know, I have to sit down and I really have to look at them. And so when I go and then go into an audition it's not about performance anymore. It becomes like a learning exercise. So yeah. I'm not doing my best performance because I'm finding lines. Yeah. yeah so yeah, I, yeah. I, you know, I, I can't, I just think, well, do you want a performance and do you want it as authentic as possible? Or do you just want to see how well I can learn lines in a short space of time? Yeah. And I think it, you know, it's, it's, and again, that's something that's happened relatively over the last few years, because I used to go into auditions when I was younger and just have it with me all the time. And we'd yeah. refer to the script together and it would be a much more of a collaborative thing with the casting director and the director. But if it's gone very LA, very Hollywood, I think that's what they do. It's all about, you know, good lighting and everything's got to be perfect. And it's like, well, why don't we just get a performance out of somebody? Why don't we yeah. do that? Because also we all have lives as well. A lot of us have lives. A lot of us have other things we have to do where some of us, you know, some people are single parents, some people are holding down two other jobs. So finding the time to learn eight pages or 15 pages of dialogue is a big ask, actually. Yeah. It really is. And then a trip into town or whatever else it may be. It's one of the nice things about the self-tape era that we're in is we've got a bit more relaxation. But I get my friend Brett Goldstein, who's a great actor and a a great Mm. writer, he mocks me. Because I love casting directors and I love auditions, but it's because oh, yeah. it's because no, I didn't I go, it's, it's because I didn't go to drama school. I think yeah. so. I've never had these these workshops. I see each one as kind of a workshop. It's like, oh great, yeah. I can learn something here. And I love auditions. There's love definitely them. been auditions that I've learned as much on as jobs. Yeah. Like there's been, I've got two or three in mind that I remember walking out of and thinking, I'm a better actor after that yeah, than I was definitely. before this came through. And I never heard back. I never heard a thing, but it's no, one of them. No. I enjoy that. But yeah, I completely agree. It's a weird, there's such weird mixes in there because yeah. you'll have a wonderful time in the room. I know, yeah. And then not, I've sort not of been offered. Thing. I've sort of been offered things in the room. Yeah. I've yeah. sort of been, they've said to me, look, we'd, we'd only seen one other person, but we want you, we love you. And then, and then they've gone, no, sorry. It's like, oh, but you don't have to say anything. It's fine. Yeah. But having said that, I'm saying all this. You know, I know casting directors have a tough time because they're getting pressure from producers and directors and everything. So they've got it on their shoulders as well. I'm not, you know, I'm not for one minute saying, well, you know, it's unfair. Life is unfair. And sometimes we just have to do things that we don't necessarily want to do. And I suppose what I take from it is that it's not personal. You know, they're not going, oh, I'm not going to tell her. It's just they've got a lot on, I guess. You know, there's a lot, you know, we all have very busy lives and they have busy lives as well. So yeah. you have to, I suppose, then you have to say to yourself, I'm going to deal with this. I'll, I'll, I'll deal with this so it doesn't affect me. Yeah. So I'll, I'll process it in a way that, that means it doesn't hurt my feelings. Yeah. And I yeah. think that's how you deal with it, you know. And it's a tough one. Should that be on our shoulders? But it's, yeah, it's a weird world. I've also got a crazy conspiracy theory about the whole, <laughs> the whole casting director and agents industry. I'm convinced that there's a certain amount where... I'm going in for an audition and we know I'm not going to get it. But, it, you know, it's good for the casting director to have seen a certain amount of people. It's good for the agents to have <laughs> yeah. got you a certain amount of auditions. Because yeah. there's been some that I've gone in for that when I've seen who's got it, I've been like, why was I up for I that? Know. They're amazing. They're huge. Like I had one, and as I mentioned Stevie Graham before, he's, he's one of my best mates, but I had one yeah. where I went up for something he was up for. I was like, why would you see me if Stephen Graham is an option? He's literally one of the best in the industry, and and there's, there's been a, f- a few others, yeah. Carl Urban, a couple of times I've been up for stuff yeah. that he's got, and I'm like, he's huge, and I'm, like, <laughs> I'm starting out at this. Why was I even in the room? So I'm convinced there's a little bit of a of quota filling that is yeah. better for the 
or they're the, looking for the next big thing. Yeah, yeah. That is what, again, yeah. I'm, I'm always <laughs> up for it because my thought is, well, I'm not going to get this role over Carl Urban, but yeah, I can but make a good time. impression yeah. on the casting director and I can yeah. th- th- they'll now know me. But also, you know, I think also they don't get that many people in. Yeah. They don't, you know, they don't. They, they, yeah. they, they'll, they'll get people in that they've heard good things about or that have good reputations or are just really good at their job. And I think, you know, they'll, they're, they're, it's not like a cattle call. Yeah. It's not like, a, you know, it's not like yeah. there's yeah. hundreds yeah. Yeah. of them, yeah. you know, like they did with West End auditions years ago when you'd go for like an open call for cats and they'd be like snaking around the theatre. Yeah. It's, you know, they have a, they have a group of people that they'll, casting directors will go to and, yeah. and, and you're one of those people. It's so. always nice. It's, it's flattering. It's always but, uh, nice. Yeah. Um, the other thing I wanted to continue on was you were talking about if the writing's good, I want to be involved. And mm. speaking of good writing, how was it to work on Sherlock? Because just some of the best scripts and you, yeah. in my opinion, were in s- several of the best episodes of, oh, of, of the you. show. Thanks. So Thank how you. was that to, to work on? Because it is, it's incredibly, it feels like it's in, incredibly intricately scripted. So, mm. so, so there may not be as much room as on, say, Man Stroke Woman, as yeah. there would be to improvise or mess about because it's also no. beat by beat. It's yeah, there wasn't there. a lot of room. There wasn't room for for doing because because also Stephen Moffat and Mark Gatiss, they're so they're so well knowledgeable on it. Yeah. You know, they're so well up on that whole Conan Doyle canon. Yeah. So you know, we we were all very kind. Of, we were very aware of how brilliantly their writing was. So we didn't mess with it at all. It was what you saw was what they'd written. Yeah, yeah. And it was just, you know, I remember when Martin and I would get the scripts, you know, we'd read them together in the sitting room and we'd just be like page turning, page turning. Yeah. And yeah. Because they were just, they, you you were on a roller coaster as you read them, you know, you, you from the get-go, from page one, you, you had no idea where they were going to go. That was yeah. the beauty of their writing as well, that they just would go everywhere and then lead you back to this amazing conclusion or an incredible cliffhanger. So yeah, they, they, those that working on that was one of the one of the most enjoyable things because it yeah. was so the, the cast were amazing, the crew were brilliant, the scripts were fantastic, and we just had a great time. And I was, you know, Martin and I were going out with each other then, so I got to work with him as well, which was great. And he's just a fantastic actor. Yeah. I mean, he's ridiculous. I think Martin is one of my favourite actors. Yeah. Well, in fact, that you know, so is Andrew Scott, and and well, all the all the boys in that, and yeah. and and then of course you've got fantastic Lou Breeley. She just comes in and just under underscores everybody with this beautiful, vulnerable character who is so strong. Yeah. You know, they, they they write very very well for females. I think those two, they're very very good at writing androgyny. I think you know they're very good at fi- you know, finding the masculine and the feminine in both. In characters in in the in the same character, I, th- I I love their writing. I just love it. It's fantastic. I love that. I I don't know about you, are you, but I always know it's a really good script when I find I'm not scanning for my character anymore. Because <laughs> yeah. in, in most yeah. things, particularly when it's a new thing, well, you're you like, got, oh, you got, what yeah, am I doing? How, What's going what, on? Yeah. How, and how I'll be, much time will I have? Yeah, I'll be engrossed in it. And I had one recently on a series I was doing that I got to the end of one of my favourite scripts I've read, and then I was like, oh. I'm not in this episode, but I got all the way till the end until it kind of sunk yeah. in that I, I wasn't on those last 10 pages thinking I'm not going to be in this much or when am I going to pick yeah, up? I was like, oh, right. this is amazing. Like, what's that's, going on? Yeah, that's yeah, that's always a good testament, I think, again. You know, I did a thing called Safe for Netflix. Oh, that was that was next on my list to, oh, was uh, it? to talk about because <laughs> I'm a big fan of, of Harlan Coben's r- r- writing. Yeah. And Safe oh, was yeah. probably the first one and it was seeing that you were in it and Michael C. Hall, who um, mm. I just, I trust both of you as, as performers oh. that made me go, I'll give that a look. And then shortly after, I binged everything he had on Netflix of other series. I've watched yeah. everything he's done since in every language that comes he's out. He's an incredible writer, Harlan. His really books, weird, isn't I'm, it? I'm it's addicted so, it's, to his books, completely I'm, addicted to I'm, his books. I'm fascinated by what it is that makes him a great writer because it all seems yeah. quite simple and straightforward. It's not like it's it's your Christopher Nolan with this this these layers no, of this elaborate, twist. Yeah. There's elaborate sort of you know. But it's plots. always engaging and the characters yeah. are always great. So, so yeah, like how was Safe to work on? And was that safe the first Netflix thing you'd worked on? Yeah. Because again, and it's so a different it's, world. It's not. Yeah. I've just found doing a network TV thing in in America. It can be heartbreaking when you're 
tied down to advert breaks and all these yeah. other things. Whereas Netflix, you'll get episodes that get, vary yeah. in length. You've got yeah. this totally. freedom yeah. to get what you need to get. So how and was that's that what, to work I think on? that's what Harlan, Harlan and Danny Brocklehurst, who we co-wrote it with, yes. that was what they said. They said, look, we the beautiful thing about working for Netflix is they just leave you to it. Yeah. And I remember him saying that to me, saying that, you know, we don't answer to any network. We don't answer to producers yeah. who are looking for a certain aesthetic or a certain look. You know, we are making our show how we want to make it. <laughs> and you really felt that on on Safe. It was such a collaborative, again, a collaborative piece that was so, it was just thoroughly enjoyable because we got to play, again, you know, we got to play. Yeah. And, and we got to but there was time, you know, there was that, because you don't get much time in when you're filming. You know, yeah. they have, you know, you, you have to do a certain amount of pages a day, otherwise you're overrunning and then you're, you're you know, you're totally behind. Yeah. But with Safe, it felt very relaxed because you had these two writers at the top, you know, Danny and Harlan, who dictated how it would 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 fall. So actually what it felt like was a very relaxed and easy shoot and what came out of it was just like this fantastic story that had an amazing twist at the end and and it was um it was a lot of fun to play that i think i think danny's a true master of adapting and facilitating i think with Mm. brassic and with other stuff where he's he's worked with with joe gilgan who's this amazing voice but maybe isn't experienced in the writing side of it and danny's been the perfect person to Mm. harness it and ride it and get it all together and make this amazing, amazing piece. Yeah, yeah. We're very blessed in this country with with really good writers. I've just worked with Paul Abbott. Paul Abbott's just done this thing that I'm I'm doing for, I've done for Sky. And again, you know, he's somebody who's very, very, very character driven. And I think that's what draws me to scripts is is character driven pieces as opposed to plot. Because, you know, you want to see you want to see characters unfold and you want to like, like them and hate them at the same time. And you want to, you want to find your own, you know, you, you, your own journey with those characters and what, what Danny does, what Harlan does, what Paul Abbott does is they allow you to do that. They allow mm. you to go along that journey with these characters as those characters are unfolding. It's again, it's like, you know, it's very, I just think it's really, really intelligent storytelling because it, it, it it's char- character based. It's character driven. I completely agree. And I, I remember when I was watching Safe at first, I was like, something doesn't feel right. And I was like, is it because yeah. yeah. Dexter's got an English accent? I was like, no, it's not. Yeah. Um, and then I realised it was because the show had an English accent. And I'll kind of explain that. It felt like it was made like an American show, yeah. but just happened to be in England. Yes, and I've not really yes. seen that because English shows have a certain shorthand and a certain tone or whatever. And this didn't have that. It had more of the American shorthand, but it just happened to all yeah. be in beautiful English countrisides and and yes. and and, and houses great. with yeah yeah yeah. It was glorious. It was it was a lot of fun. I've I'm, I've been very lucky. I mean, I know you know I've been very lucky with the jobs that I've I've done where they've you know I've I've never had a job where I've gone oh that was awful. Yeah. you know i've never yeah. i don't think i'm not even things not even things like the bill because you know when i was learning and when i was doing that it's just so exciting and everything i go into i'm excited to do whether it's a short film or whether it's a radio play or you know anything is just if you if you go in with a level of excitement you know it's gonna it's always gonna be fun it's always gonna be fun so so how have you found working in the pandemic um you've 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 done a one show or two shows in in this time and it's um yeah i've done a few short films and then yeah. i did i did a, i think i did an episode of something and then i've done this i've done wolf which is a yeah. six-part drama and it's been doable you know it's been it's been sometimes it's been uncomfortable and it's been annoying obviously because it is annoying you know i know it's a it's a terrible terrible thing that we're going through but you can say it's annoying as well yeah um but um what was lovely about going back to work is that there was you felt this normality, even mm-hmm. though people were wearing masks and we had to social distance. By the end of it, because we'd all been taking COVID tests two or three times a week, we had this this bubble where we could just like breathe and just yeah. have a, you know, and it was so lovely to have this normality and not feel like, you know, the, the government are telling us what to do all the time. It was just like, oh, no, we're making, we're, we're doing our job. We're doing our job. Yeah. And we're not going to listen to the government for a bit because, you know, <laughs> we're just going to do this. It just felt very healthy. It felt healthy. That's yeah. what it felt. I loved it. I, I talked to Simon Pegg about it and we described oh, yeah. it as kind of ha- ha- of having a, a soft launch. 
into yeah. into, into normality yeah. again. <laughs> yeah. So many actors have had that because it is yeah. still like when I was filming in Canada, I was still very much isolated off set, but and masks and everything on set. But you were yeah. getting that socialness. And oh, to be honest, so- I liked uh, the control that was over it. The fact that it wasn't yeah. overwhelming. It was you've got this socialness, but then. I'm eating my lunch in my trailer on my own so I can yes. take a breather and yeah. get used to it again. Yeah. Because it is, it's, it's, it's a strange thing to go it's, from a year of kind of isolation yeah. to, oh, now everything is happening. And Absolutely, yeah. So it's nice to kind of, as you say, slowly dip your toe into it and just like, again, just breathe, just start breathing again, you know, yeah. metaphorically and literally. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it feels, it feels, you know, I, I say to people, you know, it's like people ask, you know, people because I do, I, I'm, I work with It's Okay campaign, who are a mental health yeah. organization, and and I, you know, when people ask me, I just say, you know, you just it's calibrating yourself and 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 taking time out to just breathe and and try not to live in the future or the past because the future is anxiety, the past is depression. So if you can try and just like detach yourself from everything that's going on at the moment around you at the moment, just breathe and and recalibrate your yourself you can you know you'll get through it and you do you know you you can talk to people and there is a there is a support network out there and it's just reaching out and and making sure that it's a community it's a sense of community i think yeah it's getting getting that back again it's getting that sense of like are you okay are we all right are we good let's look after each other let's look after each other as opposed to this divide and conquer thing that is happening with alarming um regularity yeah. You know, if you're not for something, you're against it. And this is being, you know, it's being driven home, driven home if you don't. And it's, you, it, it's, that's the way that, that they're in madness lies. You know, you can't, you have to just breathe and dis- discuss and debate and look after each other and do everything with a bit of peace and love. I think that's vital. I completely agree. I think social media has always pushed the idea of, tr- of tribalism of being mm. for or against and so on and so forth on this team or that team yeah and i think the pandemic because it's kept us all indoors social mm. media has become the real world for a yeah. period of time and i think it it's really, really heightened that that rivalry between yeah. here's us and here's here's yeah. them kind of thing and it can be yeah. It can be ugly. So, I think so hopefully you, when we can get back to the real world we can go oh you're not my enemy yeah, you're my neighbor yeah. i know you yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. That's, I think social media has a lot to answer for. They have a huge responsibility, and they have, they have. I think they've become very toxic in their in their in the way they've kind of, like, as you said, they've kind of they've they've separated people because yeah. human beings can't do that. Human beings need need people. Human beings need love. They need touch. They need reassurance. They need security. They need friendship. They need, you know, that's what we thrive on. And I think it's about listening to your gut, actually, yeah. and, and trusting your own instincts and not being told by governments who don't really care about you. Let's face it. They don't give a fuck, really. So it's listening to the people around you who love you and listening to this and this as opposed to what, what an agenda that other people might be trying to, to project. And I think doing independent research is something that's overlooked now. It doesn't have to come <laughs> yes. up in your in your Twitter feed for it to be no. information. It can like there's stuff that you can find, and it doesn't have to again come from a government whose primary focus is the economy rather than yeah. humans and and, and human life. So yeah. it seems mad that we've repeatedly in this pandemic we've repeatedly seen the government admit to making the wrong choice in hindsight. Yeah. Yet every time. They make a new choice. So many people go, all right, well, we'll do that then. It's like, mm. this is the third time they've got it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> are yeah. we really, are we really going Absolute, off that again? Yeah. So. Yeah. Don't listen to them. I think just, just don't listen to them. Listen to what your inner voice is telling you hmm. because your gut is always right. It's always right. So if you feel like something's slightly off, it probably is. Yeah. So you do the opposite of what somebody sometimes just do the opposite of what they're telling you. Cause I, you know, they, they don't have your best interests at heart a lot yeah. of the time. They don't. And I yeah. think as long as you understand that, then you can live a fairly healthy and, and fruitful life, yeah. but don't invest all your, you know, all your time and, and, and your health into a government that are notorious for being corrupt yeah. and lying and giving their friends money and contracts and things like that. It's like, Read a book. Just read yeah. a book about any kind of like any kind of government. That they're never they've never got your best interest at heart. Yeah. Whereas it's your family and your your family and your friends and the people around you absolutely have. Yeah. So I let's just take a leaf out of their book and throw their the government's book away. I agree. <laughs> um, well, you touched upon um, 
the future is anxiety. And I always kind of wrap the podcast up by asking what's ahead. And one of the addictive things about this industry of acting is that therein lies the excitement and the anxiety hand in hand waving at you it's kind of you've got the one that you fear and the one that you desire stood next to each other going come on yeah yeah this way so is there anything in the in the pipeline that you can talk about have you have you learned anything in this period that makes you think you want to change your approach or your priorities going forward what is ahead i think i'm going to worry less yeah. I'm going to worry less because you can't change the past and you can't dictate the future. So my, my thing now is just trying to be in the moment and being as, as good a person as I can be and not carrying any hate or resentment around with me and and trying to be as kind as I can be. And in terms of work, I just think I'm not, you know, I'm not going to. I'm not going to push it. I never, I'm not, because I used to push it and say, what, what, am I going up for this? And now I'm just like, just let it, it'll come to you. It'll come to you. And actually I've just been offered a job, which, which starts beginning of June, which goes on till October. So I'm not allowed to say anything about it yet, but it's a very exciting thing. And I'm very, I'm looking forward to it. So that'll be good. Well, I'm excited for all that is ahead. Thank (laughs) you very much for taking the time in the present to sit and have a chat. Thank you so much for having me. It's been lovely. Thank you. It's been you. great. Right, I'm going to press <laughs> yeah. stop on the recording there. You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There we go. That was Amanda Abington. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. Yeah, it's been a pleasure as ever, guys. Hope you're enjoying all of these episodes. Um, Keep tuning in. Tune in next week. Loads of good stuff to come. I ain't slowing down. I'll tell you that for free. I ain't slowing down. Anyway, I will talk to you all soon. This has been episode 391 of the Distraction Pieces podcast with the amazing Amanda Abington. If you haven't watched any of the show's that we talked about in that episode safe sherlock numerous others go and give them a look man stroke woman god i love that show go and give them a look and enjoy yourself um stay safe and stay sane ta-ta